insurers are starting to think about this and they're starting to really think about how they need to change their insurance products to accommodate these vehicles with these safety systems and the fact that the vehicle's gonna be making more decisions. There's just a huge amount of data. It needs to be organized in an exchange or neutral server to be most effectively made portable. Today on Tech Talks, we are catching up with Paul Stacey from LexisNexis, and we're talking all about black box insurance, data, and the automotive sector. It's a really topical one, so I hope you enjoy the show. This is Tech Talks. It's your twice-weekly technology podcast with news and interviews from across the industry. Joining me on today's podcast, I have Ali and Evie. How were your weekends? Hello. Lovely, thank you. Hello. This is going, going out a little bit later on a Tuesday because I wasn't around yesterday. So That's what happens. Everything Why stops when you're in Iceland. <laughs> yes. Very cold place, unsurprisingly, given it's called Iceland. Yeah. Very expensive place, but very lovely place. Oh, need to go. Everyone does say hi, hi, which I'm sure is what they say in Frozen, right? Even I though they're not Icelandic. That. Yes. Well, I mean, we say bye-bye. <laughs> no, no, no. Why no. don't we say hi, hi? It's great. They, uh, hi, hi. They just sound so really cheerful. Happy. Yeah. <laughs> Really happy people. Um, lots of lamb on the menu. Icelandic mm. lamb. Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of lamb. Really? To be honest, yeah. Mm. I, mean, it's, it's, I feel it's like it's a really fatty meat. No, no, so it's very lean in Iceland because oh. uh, they're all wild. So they all go like tramping all over. Sheep. Yeah, exactly. Well, yes, Must they are tough. Sheep. Lean. and Very fluffy, yeah. I imagine. Uh, probably. To brace the cold. Yes, and they don't, they don't crossbreed them with anything. Just it is pure just sheep. pure Icelandic lamb. Wow. That's crazy. So how many... <laughs> that is crazy. 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 How many times have you been asked today, because I've heard it twice already, how many times have you been asked if you saw the Northern Lights? Oh. Uh, several times and no, we didn't. Oh, so depressing. Is it not the that? time of year? It is actually. January mm. and February is the best time of year to go to see it, the Northern Lights. The thing is, you, you, obviously it'd be wonderful to see them. But equally, it's, it's completely unpredictable, so you just yeah. kind of go, whatever. If you see it, you see it. You can see them in Northumberland. Right. Oh, you did actually tell me this. On yeah. The, yeah, you did actually tell so, me this. So weird. You don't actually have to go to Lapland or Iceland or Finland or Norway. You do. It's, it's like an it's like an emotional thing, right? It's like you're sitting in the middle of the ice. Yeah. <laughs> Northumberland's <laughs> just <Northern> fine. <laughs> Northumberland's very beautiful. I've never been there. If you're in an, well, it's the only it's the only dark skies park in the UK. You got igloos oh, there. Oh, I think you told me this. Yeah. Yeah, it was around. No, not igloos, but it's also very wild and empty. Okay, that's nice. Yeah, but Iceland, right? Get this. I didn't realise it was quite as big as it is. It's the, it's roughly the same size as England, right? Okay. Population of the UK, uh, sixty four point four million. Jeez. Um, right. Why, why do you know that off the top of your head? Because I looked this up this weekend. Okay. Uh, and Iceland is twice, twice, sorry, half the size of the UK, roughly. Mm-hmm. Iceland's population total, 340,000. What? Is that's, the most sparsely not, populated. That's not a lot at all. No, most sparsely populated no country in Europe. Oh, oh my gosh. No, but I was kind of sitting there thinking, right, so I had a look at it. Three so, sorry, two thirds of the population live in or around Reykjavik, which is down in the southwestern corner. Okay. Which means there's just vast amounts of absolutely nothing, nothing. Yeah. which is just insane oh, and yeah. kind of cool. Wow, it's just like volcanoes and glaciers. Too dangerous, isn't it? Yeah. To live in the rest of it. Oh, clearly, danger no. everywhere. Not. Really. <laughs> it was also very cool standing between 
the European and the North American mm. continental plates. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That is really cool. Anyway, enough of that. Um, one, actually, here's a nice, neat segue. You know what we did see uh, driving back to Reykjavik to drop the hire car off? Mm-hmm. Three cars off the road. What? One that had turned over, <gasps> and two where it was just like they were stuck in snow because really? the drivers had obviously decided to pull over to take photographs. Did you help? No, there was a, there was like people coming to help them and there was snow plows. You going to say AA? I was going to say AA, not the AA. Um, but yeah, uh, driving clearly dangerous uh, pastime in Iceland. Probably not yeah. as dangerous in the UK. I but, love yeah. the connection you're making here. That was a really good way yeah, to yeah, yeah. transition. <laughs> uh, and today we're talking all about insurance in driving. So we'll hand over the interview, and it'll make loads of sense now, and then we'll come back with some commentary afterwards. Very smoothly done there. <laughs> so today we are talking to Paul. You're the director of automotive for LexisNexis. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. And we're recording in your beautiful house with with an app. Well, you're, you've got your back to it. You've been very kind in letting me have the view out your back window, which is kind of what pine forests and rolling hills going on for as far as you can see it's kind of it looks less like england and more like i'd imagine somewhere in in north america to look like well they they call <laughs> they yeah they call this area of the country little switzerland and, right and you're looking over the south downs national park which is a very beautiful park i've, yes. I've tramped over many bits of it in, yeah, in the past it and, is yeah. uh, so very lovely even on a I'm even on lucky. a dreary dismal day like today <laughs> yeah, true um, um it's probably worth first of all giving some context around your role and your role within lexus nexus sure i started with lexus nexus when they bought my business Winelli mm-hmm. six years ago and that business was aftermarket telematics business so we installed a lot of the black boxes on behalf of insurers in the UK and white labeled insurance products for them. Mm-hmm. We were behind a lot of the brands that are still in the UK marketplace. So really specializing in in young driver pay as you drive, pay how you drive insurance. Mm. So for the last six years I've been working at LexisNexis. Um, I spent the first half rolling out our global telematics exchange. Um, and now I'm focused on talking to vehicle manufacturers about the benefits of making their customers' connected car data portable mm. in the insurance marketplace. How, how did you make the leap from data to, or hang on a minute, data in insurance? I suppose at a stage where it was still fairly niche and at the forefront of the industry. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we actually created one of the first pay-as-you-drive products called Coverbox as yeah. an insurance broker. And that was about only charging people a premium for the miles they drive. And that was a very innovative product. Um, and from there, the success of that led to us white-labeling for other insurers. It, it, it's all about taking a time-stamped GPS data and yep. turning that into a driving behavior score, hmm. which uh, insurance companies can then use as a rating variable. Yep. A significant benefit of usage-based insurance is obviously the self-selection effect. So we, we, we were self-selecting out young drivers that were prepared to be monitored. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And if you're, if you're a customer and you're saying, look, I don't mind being monitored, I don't mind having my driving monitored, that's a great thing. Yeah? Because you're sending a very positive single, uh, signal to your insurance company that you know, this is a person that's probably worth giving a good rate to. Mm. Yeah, and that was proven out. 30% of the benefit of usage-based insurance is just purely self-selection. 
And we could have put a banana in their car and still got that benefit. How how new is usage based insurance? It's not new anymore. No, it's it's a fairly established um, technology, really, that the industry has adopted, particularly in the UK and Italy. It's it's quite it's quite well known. But I suppose I suppose from from a everyday car driver perspective, okay. they just wouldn't call it UBI. So no. they know as black a, box of insurance. It's, yeah, yeah, and it's a mainly a young driver thing. Yeah. So I would say in the UK. All young drivers know about black box insurance. Right. And they choose it because they want a discount in their premiums. Yep. Their premiums are very high. You know, they're, they're 1,500 pounds on average, uh, sometimes even more if it's your first year. So, and it, you know, the, the benefit for a young driver to take black box insurance is, you know, it could be three, 400 pounds mm. out of the gate. Um, and insurers are particularly interested in calculating these scores, showing uh, the, 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 the driver how they're doing in terms of speeding, acceleration, deceleration, nighttime driving, and coaching them to be better drivers. Because mm. there's not a tremendous amount of feedback uh, at the moment. Uh, with the licensing system in the UK, you pass an exam, you go onto a provisional license, and then you, you can drive anywhere at any time with any amount of passengers. There's yep. no graduated licenses in the UK. Yep. It's almost like you pass your test to learn to fly the Boeing 747. You get the keys, you fly it. <laughs> it's There's there's no graduation. I suppose there's a case. Look, look it's, it's been very much uh, targeted at young drivers at the moment. Yeah. Wild thought, but you obviously also... I don't know this for certain, but... After a certain stage in life, don't you have to retake your test if you get to a certain age well, to prove actually, that you're still worthy to be on the roads? I suppose and, this could, could cater for that as well. And premiums start to go up when you get over 75. Right. You know, when you start to um, have poorer anticipation and maybe you judge distances sort of slightly, your ability to judge distances is compromised at nights, mm. uh, your reaction time's not as fast. Actually, we find that... that, that um, older drivers have more accidents. So it would possibly play a role there. And we started to see it a little bit with some of the insurers. They were starting to offer products to older drivers. Mm. The, the, the key with aftermarket telematics, where we send, send an engineer out to install a box in the car, is that that's expensive. You know, we have to pay for the engineer's time, his travel time. We have to pay for the box. We, we, we have to replace the box if the customer changes their vehicle. It's just a very, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a relatively clunky model and it's expensive. And because it's expensive, we can only do it in high premium segments. Yeah. Like young drivers, like older drivers, like people with lots of claims and convictions. Yeah. You know, and that, those, that, 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 that uh, requirement, that business model requirement for higher premiums keeps it in relatively niche segments. Yes. But when the connected car comes along and the box is already installed in the vehicle and the, and the vehicle manufacturer or OEM has already streaming that data that we need, then there is no need to send an engineer out. There is no need to buy a box. So the nice thing about black box insurance is, as he said, it's not new. Now, I assume when a 17-year-old gets black box insurance, they then don't go and drive like a maniac. And, you know, there's, th that's the concept, the self-selection effect. They know they're being monitored. 
they're less likely to drive like a maniac. So the thing that pulls them in is cheaper premiums, more affordable. The but tr- then the knock-on correct. effects are less accidents. Exactly. And we saw lower frequencies with uh, when we first started in the UK and we were self-selecting out mm. the best young drivers. We saw in a high-risk segment substantially lower frequencies and lower severity as well. Um, now, I would say that uh, in the age group of about 17 to 19, probably about 60 to 70% of young drivers in that age category have got a black box. Mm. And we've, we've seen um, in the last 10 years we're doing it, substantial reductions in fatality rates in that age segment. So what is that doing then? I suppose, I suppose this is the interesting point. You're getting more information back. 60 to 70% within that age category have got black box insurance in the car. Yep. That data is therefore going to be critical, I suppose, not just to car manufacturers, but to legislators, to policymakers in terms of future legal requirements. How, how does that legislation feed into the overall picture for autonomous vehicles in the UK and what's safe, where they should be used, etc.? It just gives us um, a really good case study on uh, the type of consents mm. and the type of uh, the regulations that we need to adhere to, the types of products we need to create. It's 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 a relatively small segment of the mm. total insurance pool. It's about 7%. Young drivers are about 7% of the total car park. And we've really learned from these uh, products in the past that we've had to install a black box on how to create the product, how to present the information back to the user, what customer experience do they, 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 they are most successful, um, you know, what, what restrictions are, are realistic to apply, what level of discount should we, can we afford to, 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 to give? I, I suppose um, my question would be kind of you are getting a better picture of I suppose where accidents do happen than we currently have and what areas of the country uh, you have you know you know you have a, you have a better picture of, of what that landscape looks like I remember reading a report a few years ago about um, an experiment in the Netherlands where they got someone to design a road system and actually there were more accidents when you had more signs more awareness, more drive slowly through this village because there could be children that you could knock down. Because people disengaged because there was more information, they thought it was safe. Yet when they stripped away all of that, people drove more carefully because they were more worried that they weren't sure what was going to be around the next corner. Is there a case with black box insurance that you go, hang on a minute, actually these roads, these parts of the country, um, actually autonomous vehicles would not be as, as helpful because we need people to be switched on. And in these areas, actually, autonomous vehicles would be more helpful because it's a little bit of a safer environment and this is where we can utilise it. I think you make an interesting point. Um, we, we've learnt what information is important to display to customers that actually makes a difference. Mm. And we've learnt how to display that information. And the experimentation that insurers have done, particularly on young driver um, uh, usage-based insurance, has really taught them what's important yeah. and, and what's most effective. Now, if we talk about the autonomous vehicle, we're in a, we're in a sort of crossover period now where no longer is the driver making all the decisions. 
Yes. We're, we're seeing vehicles now, uh, level three vehicles, that have systems or advanced driving assistance systems that are actually taking control of the vehicle. And if anyone's not, not familiar, there's, there are five levels, aren't there, of autonomous vehicles? There's five levels yeah, of yeah. autonomous uh, vehicles. Um, uh, le- level one is uh, cruise control. Yeah. And, and level five is no steering wheel. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we're about in the middle of the spectrum, level three. So the Teslas, the e-trons, um, where, you, you know, hands are off the steering wheel, but there's a requirement to put them on every two minutes and still sit in the driver's seat mm. and still be able to take back control uh, intermittently. That's where we are at the moment. And there's not that many of those vehicles there, but there's a lot of vehicles which maybe don't have autopilot, but they've got... Uh, forward collision warning mm. so uh, brakes will automatically be applied or they've got uh, lane departure controls or blind spot monitoring so they will prevent you from changing lanes if somebody's in your blind spot now th- th- these are examples of where mm. the the vehicle's actually making a, a decision and overriding the driver so we're in a transition period so that's, that's an interesting kind of concept that, that you kind of tease at because first of all it was you might put your hands back on the steering wheel to take over if needed versus what would be quite different, which is monitoring blind spots, preventing you doing stuff that's dangerous, which is kind of a, a silent autopilot ready to step in if you're about to make a mistake rather than the human needing to step back in to correct the computer. Which would you advocate is safer? Because I suppose it's that thing of fly-by-wire, the human driver needs, or pilot in, in planes, needs to keep their skills sharp. And if they're sitting there yeah. and they're suddenly called into action, well, a computer can spring into action, but a human maybe can't. Yeah, I mean, we talk to a lot of our insurers and they're very concerned about level three and level four features. They, they would prefer the vehicle to either be in control and driving yeah. or the human. Uh, most vehicles that you buy now have at least two advanced driver assistance features and they will be happening in the background Mm. and they will either take control when absolutely necessary or they will warn the driver. Yes. So either an active mode or a passive mode. Um, And we're seeing more and more active features coming on. So they will apply the brakes if necessary. But I, I think that this, this this concept of autopilot, where the driver is sort of disengaged, maybe watching watching a movie um, while the vehicle's, you know, driving along, I think that's okay for certain types of uh, 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 journeys, like mm-hmm. on a motorway or in a very safe road service. But around the, you know, roads of Devon, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that that would be very good. And insurers are, insurers are very concerned about level three and level four so we're talking of, we've we've spoken during the course of the interview and earlier in the conversation about why people might consider black box insurance and obviously cost is is a big driver there but is there any reason for people to be worried about sharing their data as a driver because obviously people are concerned about data privacy and data sharing so it's, it's an obvious question when you've got something that's so data centric i think they absolutely should be worried about it is the is the short answer mm. We have to earn the consumer's trust. We have to present clear choices to them so that when they're taking a quote, they know exactly what's going on. They can opt in and give consent in a very clear, fair and not misleading way. Mm -hmm. 
And then we have to give them throughout the, the policy term the right to opt out. So I think GDPR is fantastic mm-hmm. and it's a great framework uh, for, for, for protecting consumers' data privacy rights and the e-privacy legislation as well. And, and we need to follow that legislation. Is it so? So, if you're trying to build a positive benefit message to the consumer, then I suppose it becomes a a difference between buying a white labelled good and it yeah. being here is a product that you buy for four or five years and then you start again from scratch. But you're building a profile that can inform future decisions around products, around the relationship between the manufacturer, the insurer, the consumer. Yeah. Well, we've we so by. By, by consumers consenting to this, then insurers can only use it over the term of their policy. Yes. And they can't then go and sell that driving score to another insurer. Right. You, no, of course not. That, so there, there, there's a lot of protection mechanisms built in. I think we've got to clearly show the consumer with and without opting in what their premium might be mm. or what the, what, what, what the benefit is to opting in. And we've got to be clear about the data that we take from the cars mm. and how long we keep that for and how we process it. Yeah. But the other great benefit of the customer opting in is that this will inevitably make vehicles safer and better because vehicle manufacturers take that inside and go, well, clearly this feature is working better. We're going to make it even better. Yeah. You know, th- this feature is working. This is not. And uh, this is how people use vehicles in the real world, you know. Everyone's turning these safety systems off. Mm. Why? They're not feeding back properly. Let's fix it. So I think that there are um, significant benefits from the connected car and people opting in, but we've got to do it in a clear, fair, fair way. And we've got to give them the right to be forgotten and opt out. So look, if we kind of future gaze a little, and it's always, you know, hypothesize a little bit, but if, if people are motivated to use the black box at the minute because it's affordable and they choose to opt in, in the landscape of the future, say we get to a point where we have level four, level five, and the computer is deemed far safer than the human. Yeah. Is in, if you think about Elon Musk saying humans will not legally be allowed to drive in the future, is that because insurance steps in and goes, you know what, the computer has far, far less insurance premiums and costs a lot less than the human driver. Sure, you you might want to drive, but it's going to yeah. cost you 10 times yeah. as much to physically drive than the computer being in charge in the same way that at the minute you stick a black box in, you get cheaper insurance at the moment. Is is that possibly the way that we get to a situation where driving is seen as being, in effect, illegal? I, I think that there is no doubt in my mind that a computer can make better decisions than a human yeah on average because you've got to there are some humans that will have better performance than a computer but on average across all driving abilities we take the average ability yeah a computer will be far superior yeah so an autonomous vehicle will lead to substantially safer roads especially when the vehicles are talking to each other as yeah. well. And we need investment in infrastructure to do that and we need law changes. But Elon Musk is right. You know, the autonomous vehicle is far safer. Um, we're, we're in a 10-year transition period. Mm. Uh, you know, it's going to be a long time before we see vehicles with no steering wheels. Yes. A long time. Because we need, you know, big infrastructure investment and lots of things to happen before then. But certainly 
Um, we've recognized that there's a real opportunity to better understand what's currently equipped on the vehicle in terms of the safety systems and what those safety systems actually do. You know, because all manufacturers call them different names. They work differently. They have different underlying technologies. And we've, we've been very um, uh, committed to trying to normalize all these different names and come up with a classification system mm. and give that information to insurers when customers, when, when, when people quote, so that the insurers know more about the vehicle and more about what's actually going on with that vehicle. Because we're in this transition period where the vehicle is going to start to make more and more decisions. Um, and I think that, um, I, I, I think it, it, it raises a few interesting questions really uh, for the consumer as well, I think, yeah. autonomous vehicle. Like, for example, if you, if you are in an autonomous vehicle and you're not in control of the vehicle, then are you in, in a situation where a, 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 a group, a couple of kids run across the road chasing after a ball, mm. are, you going to, are you going to tell that computer to preserve your life and the life of your family mm. or the life of the children? Yeah. You know, that, that will be a setting that the dealer will encourage you to make. There are certain, certain, there are certain, um, I think, philosophical type uh, uh, questions that I'm not quite sure we're ready to answer uh, on average. And I suppose it brings with it, the autonomous vehicle. It, it probably brings it to the last to the last point I would have, which is, you know, where is the UK in regards to making sure that we are ready for that kind of a world? You talk about we don't have the infrastructure in place. The insurers might be getting towards that point. The the vehicle manufacturers might be getting towards that point. Consumers are a little bit off yet, but is, is the government ready for it? Do we have the infrastructure? Could those decisions be taken out of the consumer's hand? And actually, there are there are legal precedents that say in this situation, the car is going to act in this way, regardless of what the consumer decides. Yeah, I think I think we're not ready. I think we're not. We, we, we've got to do some more work on our uh, uh, legislation mm. to make autonomous vehicles legal. Yep. And I think the UK government's really leading the charge there because mm-hmm. um, they want to promote the UK is a good place to do this R&D and to do this investment in autonomous driving. So we're, we're sort of, um, uh, we, we've, got, we've got a lot of work to do on the infrastructure to support this as well. Yes. You know, 5G only works really in London and city centres. And, uh, and rarely we need, there. We, yeah, yeah, <laughs> sure. But we need better connectivity, you know, because yeah. the, the volume of data that is huge. I, I think the point is that insurers are starting to think about this and they're starting to really think about how they need to change their insurance products to accommodate these vehicles with these safety systems and the fact that the vehicle is going to be making more decisions. Consumers are starting to understand actually that these these vehicles have got these safety systems in there and dealers are better understanding and getting better at explaining. I think we're getting better at repairing these mm. safety systems as well. There's, 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 more, uh, there, there, there's more choice for customers around the repair of these systems and repair is always important. And there's just a huge amount of data and it needs to be, it needs to be organized in an exchange or neutral server um, to be most effectively made portable. So it's all well and good that uh, the, 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 
the the OEMs and all the various OEM brands have different data in different formats and they call things differently. And then we've got literally hundreds of insurers across Europe that all want different things. You, you actually need someone in the middle organizing all of this. Yeah. And that's what LexisNexis does. And we do we've done this time and time again in the insurance space. Look, it's a really, I think that's a neat place to finish the interview. Thank you for your time. It's a really interesting Thank you. area yeah. of discussion and feels very relevant at the moment. So uh, thanks for inviting us into your house to, to have this chat. And uh, well, I hope that uh, the weather turns soon you can, so you can enjoy that view a bit more. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> so first of all, uh, as Evie, you, you pointed out, yeah, there, there were two dogs present for there the were. interview. I was very excited listening to it. I was like, I'm sure those are dogs. I'm sure they are. <laughs> um, one of the uh, kind of... I would say pitfalls. It wasn't a pitfall because the dogs were lovely and very yeah. cute. They were Labradors. Uh, but of recording in Paul's house, which is stunning. I took a couple of photos that I'll upload uh, to go with the podcast. Do you have a couple of photos of his house? I know the view at the back oh, of his house. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Can I just film your house? Please? No, I did say to him, "Go and take a photo," because it is literally he the, the the entire back view is just pine forest dropping away oh, with views out to wow. the south downs. Yeah. When you were talking about it, I imagine just like a whole glass wall. Pretty much. Is it? Yeah, I mean, there is an advert for starting a, a data company and selling it to a company the size of LexisNexis. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Works out well. <laughs> uh, so yes, it was lovely to, to record in his house. Um, you are a driver. I am. Are you a driver? I am a driver, yes, but I don't have a car here And I am learning to drive. <laughs> No, 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 no. I, don't know. I am a driver. I got my driver's license when I was 18. I've only had three car accidents since. What? What? Three? How? Only what one of them was with three? another car. How old were you when they happened? Only one of them was with another car. Um, I was well, I was 18. I just got my driver's license. I literally... what One happened three months after I got my driver's license. And the one that was... Sorry, so there were two that were just... Someone. You what? I T-boned someone. I don't even know what that is. I drive and spend like that. Oh, mm. well done. I know, and he had, he was like a milk man. Oh no. There's milk everywhere. So did you, do you, <laughs> do you, did you have black box insurance? I didn't. So we, I, I was really shocked to hear about this because we don't have this kind have of insurance? thing in South Africa. <laughs> we, no, we did, we did have insurance, um, but it's not mandatory. It's not illegal to have, not have insurance. And so really? Like, That's yeah, shocking. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's shocking. <laughs> I know. Three cars. I wonder why. When yeah. I was like Ali on the road. It's like, just don't tell anyone. Drive. And my premium was extraordinarily high because I kept on having car accidents. And that's how it tends to work. <laughs> so this actually would have really helped. Uh, so I was quite shocked to hear about it. Isn't it an amazing thing? Like, technology doesn't have to be that complicated. All you need is technology to be present and people will drive more safely. Yeah. yeah. Just knowing that it's on board. Yeah, just knowing someone's kind of watching you. Yeah, because yeah. you can't lie about it. Like, yeah, there's exactly. hard evidence there. Have you, pretty, have you had black boxes? No, my brother has one. Right. Uh, I'm pretty sure he tried to lie about it once and said it was broken, but it clearly wasn't because he was just <laughs> driving badly. Do um, you get like a, a ping, like a message? No, or you, you get. Saying, Stop doing that. I'm not sure if you can see it on your phone, but <laughs> don't you, drive so fast. Oh yeah, let me just check my phone. It came up that I was driving that. That wouldn't yeah, work. Yeah, so or if it like goes to your dad, yeah. it was paying the insurance. Well, you Ping. get you get a report every month with oh, your insurance, okay. and it tell it goes up or down like with how badly or well you've been driving. As two people who have been driving for a little while, then, well, how do you feel about this notion that? maybe driving will not be legal. Well, no, we don't really say that, do we? It's not that driving will become illegal, but driving 
you'll be basically priced out of the market via insurance. Yeah, it'll be too expensive for us to drive. To drive. Well, if people like Ali keep yeah. crashing, yeah. You're the stands, problem. <laughs> stands to reason. We had potholes and unnecessary poles. <laughs> like, what's going on? No. Um, and other road users. Yeah. I think it, it really just depends on where you live. I think because uh, like now we don't need cars to come into work and go out of work no. and on weekends if we want to go travel or just hire a car and you pay insurance for that amount of time you drive in the car mm-hmm. right so I don't know if it'll be the worst thing that happens it might be safer but surely then public transport would go crazy with all the people that's taking it I don't know if cars drive themselves as well kind of I don't know whether you need to own a car. Would you trust that? Way. Is anyone going to yeah. trust that? Do you trust that? What? Cars driving themselves. People will. People they won't will. at first, but very quickly. I think this is the thing. Um, you will know that the argument has been won when it's not a novel conversation. And I think the not novel conversation aspect will happen quite quickly. Mm. Yeah, I because I feel like there are some things, like he was saying with like the auto braking and all that. Mm people become quite used to it. Exactly. Which I also think is really dangerous because you know he was saying like insurers tend to trust like one side or the other with either nothing or like all of it. Um, it does make sense because I feel like it makes people a bit lazier with driving because you, you know that, oh, if I don't brake, it will brake for me. Yeah. Like, imagine then if you got into a car that didn't have auto braking. Oh, well, the, just, look, like, the car that I'm learning in, the, the lights do themselves for you. If something pulls away in front of you, oh, the car starts they, itself. What? Yeah. Wow. Because the whole the way they're designed is to keep you moving constantly. Do you not have a driver's license? No, I never bothered. <laughs> I never bothered. Just trying to not say that. David, <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, Who drives in your relationship? Well, no, neither, neither does Ailey. But so you went. You said you driving down with the hired car. No, so that was our friends. I was gonna say oh. yeah. your friends drove. Yeah, then. Julian. Oh, so great for him he just can't drink yeah. <laughs> oh goodness okay. uh, yeah no next old day we'll be able to um, no because I've always lived in London and then before that mm. I lived in Newcastle and then I went to a campus university so you didn't uh, really there was never any need and I was never yeah. that bothered yeah. Yeah. now however I realised are you learning a trans- on a manual yes well done very proud you didn't <laughs> um, people always say I can't really drive but I can I can't, I can't remember what my point is now uh, what, what was I saying? You didn't You're need currently to learning to drive oh, yeah. this car. So, so it's a car that starts it. itself. If the vehicle pull uh, in front of you pulls away, it, it, the engine kicks in and off you are, off you go. And That's you trust that you're full in trust of this car doing that. You're well, I don't really know any different. But surely they shouldn't have that on for you learning to drive, right? It's the way the design of cars design. That's actually a really good point. You've never really experienced anything different. Well, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't start moving. The engine just kicks in. No. So oh right. Okay. No, it's, it, it I doesn't. I thought you were going to say like it just drives. No, it no, that would be driving. that would be insanely <laughs> dangerous. It's like that's terrible. No, it's you still need idea. to use the clutch. Good. Yes. Okay. No, but the engine the engine starts. Right. So it'll cut out and start automatically depending on where you're sitting in traffic and stuff but, like oh, that. But I've seen that. I've, I've seen that because that's for the environment. It's good for the environment. That yeah, it is. It is. But it's also that it's, it's that automated piece. And also uh, when the car's in, and obviously I don't know this, but when the car's in cruise control on a motorway, if you fall asleep at the wheel, it will vibrate violently to wake you up. Oh, really? wow. Apparently. That's cool. What car are you driving? It's a Volkswagen Golf. Pretty sure you'd like It's off. not anything particularly exciting. That's crazy. That's my new car. Does it have all these features? Don't know yet. I've not driven it. Okay. I'll find um, out tomorrow. <laughs> there you are. Um, yeah. 
I, I, I kind of guess with this, all of these things will become normal very quickly. Mm. Yeah. And I think, like you said, because you don't know any different, it was really normal to you. As the generations go on and our kids learn to drive and our kids' kids, they're going to be driving these automatic yeah. and they're going to know it no different. Yeah. Well, cars don't have handbrakes anymore, which isn't weird. Yeah, they have that little like but- button yeah. thing. Oh, so yeah, sometimes they don't. So the car I have now, you park it and it's like an automatic. Yeah, you just press the park button. Yeah, yeah no, but the car that I'm learning in, if you brake for two seconds, the handbrake kicks in automatically. Oh, I don't like that. That's annoying. So if you're a, a yeah. for two seconds for two seconds if you hold the brake for two seconds the handbrake comes on. Then do you have to manually turn it off to go again? No, as soon, as soon as you as drive, soon as you it stop. comes off. Okay. But if you're trying to hold position, you don't have to keep your foot. Fancy. Anyway, so yeah. I have a story Getting back about to, the auto braking though. Right. A bad story about it. Okay. I don't like it. So my dad's car has the auto braking thing, and he was on the motorway, and my dad's a good driver. But sometimes you say that he like he's be, not. He could be a bit reckless. <laughs> like I don't know. He could be a bit reckless with it, but always very safe at the same time. So he was overtaking somebody on the motorway, but then got quite close to them. He was as he was overtaking. But then the auto brake came on and like slammed the brakes on as he was overtaking this car, mm. and he had to really quickly accelerate again so people didn't go into the back of him. Jesus. And that was, it was really really dangerous. Like we nearly crashed. But did the auto brake come on because? I'd realised there was something in front of so it. So with, with the auto brake, a lot of the time, it if you get too close and it thinks you're not going to slow down quick enough, it, it will you. slam the brakes on. So your dad was just making but a he really was, rough move. He, he shouldn't have been doing moving that. on the side. So he was already like halfway out and it thought he was too close. Yeah, on the side. And um, yeah, it's really dangerous. I think the interesting thing there then is this technology is coming into vehicles whether we like it or not, and people mm. having to adapt. People drive safer. Uh, LexisNexis, therefore, at the forefront of trying to work out how this meshes together and the data that they're collecting is going to be really important to legislators mm. because legislation is 100% currently lagging behind mm. where technology is taking us. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's a great example of legal lag, of you know this idea that technology moves and then legislation catches up. Quite, mm. <laughs> you know, the cars are moving quicker than legislation. So yeah. It's really quite kind of... Uh, th- nice picture uh, of thinking of the wrong <laughs> words entirely but the car keeps moving and, and legislation has to keep up yeah. you get my point yeah exactly. I think it's nice yeah it's a nice metaphor that's it right. for the whole industry <laughs> you got that Jesus I didn't really know what a couple of days out of the office and I'm, oh, my brain's mushed holiday mood it's because it's still frozen um, okay any further thoughts I thought there's, there's something right in the beginning that, that he kind of pointed out is that when when you're 18, you just get your you just get your driver's license and they kind of send you out there. Now you can drive wherever you want to do, however fast. So this is kind of, I just like the fact that they're bridging that gap between how people's driving is being monitored and mm. if you should be able to drive, when you should be able to drive. Yeah. I kind of like that. that. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's brilliant. I thought I'd just put that out there for the tech community. Excellent. Brilliant. Well, look, I think that we will leave it there. We're not going to have any news today because the interview is quite long, so we're going to keep it quite short. We've already rambled for quite some time. Oh. Sorry, talked <laughs> with great clarity for quite some time. Uh, one quick thing. Uh, if you happen to listen to this uh, Tuesday lunchtime or Tuesday afternoon, which is pretty much as soon as it will have gone out, I'm speaking at an event tonight, so if you're in London, why not come along? Um, I don't know what I'm going to say, but it's all about how to start your career in data. 
which is being hosted by Wild Code School. I will include a link on the show notes. So if you're listening on Wednesday, well, it's been and gone, sorry. Uh, but if it's Tuesday, come along. Other than that, thanks for joining me, guys. Bye. Bye.